0: Hi Jeremy Hi Raphael uh, What's going on? What is going on? I'm having a coffee, my voice is recharged because it's a Sunday I was just saying, like, my voice gets so raspy as, uh, It's some still pretty <laughs> raspy <laughs> Some previous episodes, yeah. how about you, what are you up to? Um,
1: I saw a great movie yesterday uh, Oh. I, I want to give a shout out uh, to Metrograph, this theater that opened up this year or maybe mm-hmm. You've been going
0: there quite often, haven't you?
1: yeah so um I was kind of I, I like going to big movies. It's fine and like a big spectacle and sci-fi, but all those movies, the storylines are pretty predictable. so you always know exactly what's gonna happen. It's like it's, it starts out pretty chill. there's like a scene that feels familiar and people are calm and then the aliens come and they blast everything out of uh, to oblivion and then one hero arises and faces a challenge and then overcomes the challenge and that's fine it's but it just got kind of boring and then Metrograph opened and they show uh, less famous movies and mm. older movies and uh I've been going almost every day so it's been really uh, interesting what did, what did you see last night uh it's a movie called sabrisky Z- Point by mm. Antonioni the Italian director oh yeah of course but it's an American movie and I saw another one of his. I'd never seen his films before, so this is also kind of a film school for me. This Metrograph is nearby, and I'll just look online, see what movies are up today. So we canceled Netflix. I, was like, I don't want
0: any more of these boring stories. <laughs> You're the first person I've heard say that. Yeah, <laughs> we canceled Netflix to go to the movie theater. It's like very. Uh, yeah, I know. Against I'm, I'm against.
1: I'm against vinyl and like that kind of romanticism of like it sounds better. But there's really something about. Uh, being closed into a room and but anyway this movie's a brisky point uh, I just enjoyed it very much because at each point in the movie I just had no idea what the next 10 minutes would be I was like this movie mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense what's happening now it was totally unpredictable
0: yeah I mean, I mean that's a auteur film I, I, I tried yeah. to watch two uh, over the last two weeks I watched two like mainstream films um, and they were both terrible and they had like amazing reviews on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. Yeah. I'm beginning now to. Be, I, I'm, I'm. I've reached like like Saturation. your point almost. Yeah, like I'm a George Costanza's dad or something. I was like, that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But there's something. Movies are over. <laughs> it, 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 it's funny because Hulu for a while had the Criterion Collection, so it's all these uh, classics mm-hmm. and uh, different movies. So. It, yeah. I think three times I made an attempt where I'm like, I'm getting a Hulu membership and I'm going to watch all these good old movies and all these uh, uh, great fi- auteur films, but it doesn't work at home because these movies are kind of boring, so very quickly you Look on your phone, and you're like, "Oh, wait, there's an update. Let's check out this thing." Oh.
0: <laughs> and so, so I, I don't think those type of movies work at home. Basically, I'll I'll tell you why those. Yeah, for me, because actually, sometimes Kristen has excellent taste in films. They just all happen to be based about 200 years ago or 300 years in like Victorian <laughs> England. Uh, but the problem for me usually will be that I fall asleep. But th- what I know has changed. Why i know like there's a problem? I think in general entertainment is that. I've been watch- I watched Alien, the new Aliens movie and like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 recently, and I almost fell asleep during like several times during both <laughs> movies where but I would normally be- fall asleep. No, but then I watched a period drama and I was wide awake and I was riveted. Okay. <laughs> my, Lady Macbeth, my mom has the habit it. in, in uh, blockbuster movies to fall asleep. She, she just likes going to the theater and take a nap. Yeah, well, it, it's very relaxing. You think. I, oh, the movie I, I really will take care of itself.
1: <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have this uh, debate of like whether yeah, yeah. Hollywood it's movies not, are bad or whatever. It's it's just that I've had a lot of Hollywood movies the last five years mm-hmm. because there was no good theater nearby, and now this is a refreshing. So I think maybe after a while I'll be fed up with serious movies, and then I'd rather watch something. Uh, yeah.
0: No, I mean, I have a we have this um, TIFF uh, uh, sort of cinema cinematech near our house which is the Toronto International Film Festival they have their own cinema and it's like walking distance and I, I don't take advantage of it enough but basically I could watch a Fellini film any day of the week and I don't yeah. want to
1: and, and, and this was something that I, I just want to address really briefly that we've discussed often because um, politics is such a big part of our attention span now it's just mm-hmm. every day you just wake up and your hand is shaking and you're looking at the like please no nuke today. And, okay, we we made it through another day. So that's mm-hmm. the state of the world. And just what ri- ridiculous thing is going to endanger my life? Uh, yeah. And that makes it really hard to say I'm going to go to the theater and enjoy a 2-hour movie about flowers in a field. Mm-hmm. And it and, and that makes the whole profession of an artist suspicious where like how can you make art and talk about Uh, the texture of the canvas when the world is on fire and Mm. uh, and that's part of why on this podcast i don't want to address politics because i think of course there's serious problems that need to be addressed and and many people are doing that but at the same time it's an assault on civilization it's like if we're we're not civilized and we can't think about non-essential things we're always talking about survival and I don't know if you get my point, but
0: of course I get your point. I think yeah. it's a very good point. Um, but I also respect that there are a bunch of artists out there uh, who are, you know, you know. I think you went you once said it's like uh, I don't care about painting if I can't, you know, eat or if my life is in danger. Right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. there are people that are potentially whose lives are literally <laughs> under threat. Yeah. And so I think for them, you know, they want art. Uh, Artists, You know, and I believe uh, when I was in grad school, there was a, a great speech by David Ross, the first curator of video, curator at the Whitney for many years. And it was during the Iraq War. And he w- he made a very unpopular speech, which you wouldn't expect. I went to Syracuse University for my MFA. And it's a pretty liberal school in upstate New York. But he made like a like a, a speech that all the parents booed at. And and his message was very simple that every art that every artist graduating in that class because they also have this big uh, film and television school at Syracuse in addition to the art school called Newhouse that everyone there their core responsibility as artists was to go out there and communicate you know like a better America or a better you know a better world mm. um, and so part of the responsibility was to tell a story of a place that didn't exist currently right like to talk yeah create a world in which flowers were once again potentially the thing we yeah, care about most but so there's many ways
1: um, of doing that yeah yeah, yeah and, they're, and, they're, but the, the the danger is and this is really because we talk a lot about media structures uh-huh. and so different media dictate different types of content and, and part of why i like the podcast is it's conversational so it's less this is my statement, and I want to make a statement. It's more a conversation, and let's look at the topic in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But part of it is that a lot of podcasts and a lot of media right now is just saturated with politics. So that's I yeah. I, I think if you need some podcasts that talk about politics, I don't think we ha- we have to add to that. I think I mean you can talk what you- about whatever you want. I'm just talking about my yeah. side, but yeah, yeah. I, I feel like. If you need your fix on Trump news, I don't think uh, there's a shortage of it.
0: Well, I hope what we can do um, and that y- what you can do, because I-, I know that people that have written in have always said they appreciate both perspectives. What I can do, hopefully, is like not talk about the uh, politics in the moment, but talk about how they relate to a broader history um, and a sociology that is, you know, sometimes structural and is an aesthetic at times, you know, and not necessarily a positive aesthetic because they're good and bad aesthetics, right? And I think what you can do is also present a perspective where it's like, hey, like, you might think that's the most important thing, but there's this other thing that's incredibly important too and that we shouldn't lose sight of and that is part of being human, right? And I think yeah. that's but one it, of the things it, it, that I think me, we've centered it, on in this podcast is like yeah. coming, coming together around arts meaningfulness amidst we, all these other discussions.
1: We, we have to be aware that... Part of the problem of, of politics is also the sensation of character. It's just, it's like a drug and it makes it hard to absorb anything else.
0: Well, that's why we never respond to things kind of like, we made a decision early on in the podcast not to do um, this week's news, but yeah. we'll maybe be inspired by this week's news to talk about something that spans a much larger time period. And we always start with a historical context and our point of view on that. And I hope that that takes it out of that immediate kind of shouting match yeah and the other thing
1: i I was thinking about with politics and i and this is something is that i think deep down you are really you want to help people and deep down i don't
0: (laughs) i don't know if that's true you might actually find it's the opposite which you often find on this podcast but but it's funny what people
1: say and -hmm. what they actually do so if you say yes I'm for the environment yes I'm for fair labor um, yes I'm, but then at the end of the day their actions what you actually do to facilitate yeah uh, it gets tricky
0: yeah I think that like that's why I said you might find the opposite because I you know I aspire to do a lot more than I do do now there are a few things I care passionately about and I pursue those with focus and I think maybe th- we're starting to get into some good segues <laughs> into mm-hmm. this week's topic but um, you have to choose a focus something that you feel like you can make an impact on and if you have skills You know, and I think this is something that we talk about in relationship to that theme. If you have a skill as an artist, but you're not a skilled politician, great. Like use that skill as an artist, you know, like whatever your contribution is, just like my contribution to this podcast is different than yours. It's going to help us all move forward. But trying to be something you're not, I don't think is is useful, of course everyone can change and see another point of view and listening. I think that's the core theme of our podcast because it's a podcast. It's a listening activity and we end with the field recording. It's, an it's interruption about interruption game. <laughs> that's right, it's true. <laughs> Even despite your interruptions, which are, you're right, completely uh, contradictory to that. I actually think I was talking to someone. I think I interrupt you as much as you interrupt me. Um, it's just that I, I think, uh, you're just smoother. Smoother. <laughs> yeah, I have a smoother operation. On that. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, I think we d- we just have to continue to present the podcast as we've chosen to from the very beginning, which is as our uh, happening, uh, something, yeah. uh, our our way of being in the world. So, and I encourage our listeners to also be and to be themselves. And if they're angry, that's okay. I, I always proceed without judgment. So whatever you feel is okay, in my opinion. Um, until it affects another person negatively, and then it's still okay. But if you don't listen to how you've affected them, then then we have a problem, right?
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I mean, if
1: you, um, then you get. I mean, it gets so complicated if you're worried about the impact of what you do and whether some people will have a bad day because of it.
0: Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, don't worry, but listen. You know, it's like it's like the number. No one would have like it's the difference between being ignorant and obnoxious and like yeah. deliberate. But, but often, but obnoxious is so kind of fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> oh well, they, I'm reading this book actually by a, a former Googler. I'm trying to get us to Google, which is today's topic. Yeah, uh, called Radical Candor. I highly recommend it if you're a manager. But even if you're not a manager, it's written by this woman, Kim Scott, who worked at. Google and Sheryl Sandberg was her like first boss or not her first boss, but her like most inspirational boss. And then she later worked at Apple and actually both companies were very different. She describes in this book, but what she learned at, you know, throughout her management career. And she's like got the most sage advice I've ever read, but I've also, she triangulates a lot of research and a lot of uh, opinion from other best practice management books I read, but it's actually just great life advice and probably good relationship advice, which is to, she has this idea of like um, acting sort of deliberately and uh, intentionally like being super honest with people straightforward but then caring personally I mean that's kind of the those are the axes it's very
1: uh, it's very fascinating to me jumping from company to company because uh, yes they're all technology companies but then at the same time it's almost like you came from the enemy because there's such adversity so you you there's the trenches, and you cross the trenches, and then you land in the in the other camp. And first, they have to debrief you. What, what are they doing on the other side? How mm-hmm. do they do it? Yeah. And then and then there's a point. is like, are you a spy? Can we trust you? Are you going to send back information? And,
0: and well, and every company has like a company culture, right? Yeah. Our mm-hmm. way of doing things. They are very there, and there is this the spying thing. It's funny on the door of my the office <laughs> where I work. We had, you know, the CEOs, like, famously worried about, like, secrets getting out about things we were working on. And that's quite common in tech. But he put posters up on the door that reminded me a little bit of, like, you know, wartime, you know, Second World War. They said, like, they had, like, a little spy picture and said, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, wait a, like, what is this, Nazi Germany? <laughs> yeah, we're making good. accounting software here, people. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But you know, actually, at the same time, he told me once that another CEO called him up and is like, "Whatever I find out you're doing, I'm just going to steal it, copy it, and price it half the price, <laughs> and you're going down." You know, they're yeah, so we like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of rivalry between these companies. But Google is who I wanted to talk about. And today. talent
1: retention is a big thing, right? Let's yeah,
0: see. yeah, it's a huge mm-hmm. thing. And much more so, maybe in the valley, but also here because we lose people to California. I Just a product manager friend of mine uh, at work just left this week. Well, now you guys
1: work. have a hiring benefit. If you're hiring someone, it's like, well, our country is
0: not run by lunatics, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It's true. It's like it's an it's an employer brand. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you guys can
1: cut salaries in half, and people will still come and work for you.
0: Well, generally, Canadian salaries are about half. They're well, they're two thirds of an American. But then
1: salary. the cost of living is less.
0: Uh, not, so, not yeah, less, uh, less and less. That's the case. But yeah, okay. generally mm. speaking, it, it's less because you don't pay for health insurance. But then again, at a tech company, you probably wouldn't. Um, but yeah, I think what you just said is probably the main thing. You live without uh, the strife and vi- like the visible inequality uh, slapping you in the face every day. Mm-mm.
1: Google, um, but yeah, Google. 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 We're going to talk so about we'll, Google.
0: So Google's in the news for you know uh, has been in the news for good quite a bit for recently bad. for good and for bad. So there was this political thing with the engineer who basically promoted eugenics within. States uh, <laughs> of <laughs> <laughs> America. It's
1: so funny because these things are so outrageous, and then you have to seriously discuss them. And it's like, I it's know so, I could. It, it, it's so obvious that it's awful, but then these people are like, well, we're being censored. What do you mean we can't kill females? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean I can't walk into the cafeteria with a nuke? What yeah, do you mean? Yeah. I can't discuss this?
0: Yeah. I thought it was ridiculous because I would take, so this Google engineer wrote this memo saying like, oh, it's gone too far with the affirmative action towards gender diversity. and But then I thought if you replaced every word where it said like uh, women or, or sorry, men with like, women or men with AI that we might like yeah and I can yeah. see like AI writing us in the future about humans <laughs> yeah like, I don't get it there why these a, human overlords a, get to- <laughs> an,
1: on the McSweeney's they made a funny article about an AI writing about how inefficient humans are and that the AI was uh, oh did they yeah like um there's still a place for humans. They're more artistic, but you, guys, we got to get real. We get the job done.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think but, but, was, I don't when, want to spend too when, much time on because I thought it was just. But so when absurd.
1: The, I'm curious when the white male feels uh, um, threatened, what is the actual percentage of white males at Google? Is there any statistics? Oh on yeah, that? yeah.
0: There's a lot. Yeah, there's lots of statistics. Uh, I mean, the best place for statistics um, is. Uh, Through well, there's this new company called Culture Amp that's trying to get like a diversity benchmark. But there's also Ellen Powell's Project Include. I think is probably the best resource for people looking for stats. But basically, about um, it, it's like it's about 25 to 30 percent of the population at a company like Google is women. And then there are other statistics like. You know, for people of color, uh, specifically Black African Americans, it's below <clears> three percent. And then if you compare that to the population mix, it doesn't it doesn't net out like that. It's not it's not a it's not yeah. the right balance. So the,
1: that's that's the most out of all the research he quotes and whatever. Um, yeah.
0: Anyways. No, but I think the the uh, the conversation um, is, is happening, and it's an issue, it, of course. In engineering, it's even more of an issue, and with a, I don't want to stereotype engineers at all. But uh, generally speaking, I've seen a lot of uh, this kind of miscommunication and this nature versus nurture, and appealing to science. And that's why I said I made that joke about eugenics. But um, the th- reason I wanted to talk about Google in general was that, but also just because, like, we talked about Amazon, we talked about uh, uh, a few other companies, Facebook. Uh, but really, like the kind of envelope that seals all of their fates seems more and more to be Google, and when you say Google now, you don't even mean google, well, yeah, yeah like alphabet
1: and and what's interesting to me when you compare the big companies, I think that, you know amazon I think everyone at Amazon also likes to use Amazon, and I think everyone at Apple likes to use the Apple products, everybody at Microsoft or most people, especially the I think there's a lot of people at Microsoft who really believe in the office software and like yeah, we do the best productivity suite and and Google, I think they're also proud of their products, but I just think Facebook I don't think Zuckerberg is a Facebook user at heart. I think that's uh, yeah, the big like, difference between all these companies because I, I think the people who work at Facebook, I don't think anyone there truly believes that that, that makes the world a bit it, like that it, it <coughs> it's such a nerdy profession to make this and i don't think nerds at heart are social that's why google never succeeded at social that that's a, was maybe that's what a really, i'm getting at
0: that's a really interesting point i mean because i often uh, get upset where i work because i mean i use our product because i have to to run my business but not everyone's running a business that, that works for us and it i i personally feel it has an impact when you don't use the thing that you make it'd be like if I was a chair designer and I was like, yeah, that chair is too uncomfortable for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's great for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: there are professions where you can be a male fashion designer making fashion for women and you're not wearing the clothes.
0: Yeah, but that's a that's an ex that's an amazing point. The high heel shoe really was you know <laughs> kind of like a horrible device for women's feet it was designed by men yeah. uh, just to make their legs look better. Uh, yeah. But with Google, I think um, you're right. Like it's an it's a product that no one can't use. Like yeah, like, like I mean,
1: I- imagine so many- imagine using the internet without Google. For, I mean, I guess there are competing search engines, so that yeah, that's fine.
0: So yeah. that is a very interesting point, and one that's evolving, which is that imagine. So that word, imagine a world in which you don't use Google. So a lot of people are trying to imagine this world. And actually, in the news uh, in the last month or so was um, one of Google's former uh, leaders, this guy Andy Rubin, uh, started his own company called Essential, and he came out with this new phone called the Essential Phone. But the real story was he's is that he founded this new incubator called Playground, and specifically he believes this this incubator is designed to try and figure out the next thing, which he's hypothesized the ambient OS. Well they're always all all these companies are always looking for the next platform. So Google's also doing this. So like yeah, what he's looking for is to create a platform for AI and a new uh, AI operating system. But he also look.
1: created Android, right?
0: Yeah, so Andy Rubin created Android. Google and sold bought it. To Google. And yeah. Sold it to Google and then he worked on Android until twenty fourteen. And then he was, like, rumored to be forced out of Google, though he says he, choos- he chose to leave. He then started, like, a croissant factory or something like that. <laughs> like <laughs> We're going to reinvent the croissant. Fuck you, yeah, France. L- yeah, like, he, he made, like, some kind of French pastry thing that was, like, for, <laughs> for a couple yeah. of years. And then he pivoted out of French pastry. Everything you know about made. the croissant has changed. <laughs> We've reimagined <laughs> the crispiness you know and love is gone. Yeah, and so yeah, so we, from the croissant thing, to, uh, I guess is still going, but didn't, it's not the next revolution. <laughs> but, uh, the re- he believes that the next there's a need for like an artificial intelligent operating system or an AI system that runs everything. The, that's the ambient
1: computing that, that that seems yeah, that to mixes be the, the, the internet of the things. The general basically. direction after mobile, if the computer can get lighter, it's just around you.
0: Well, you need yeah, and the, every every system you need to, you need AI on a chip that's embedded within all systems. So like in, within the Internet of Things, that AI you would never dream of a fridge without AI. It would be a fridge that couldn't tell you what was in it, or couldn't tell you if the food had gone bad. You'd never dream of that, right? And your mm-hmm. your, your yeah, imagine your AI. sheets
1: couldn't tell you uh, that you were asleep.
0: Yeah, and your yeah, and your lamp couldn't tell you that you weren't home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or whatever. But like, yeah. uh, the idea is in the future that all th- all things will need to have self-awareness. Uh, like and everything that, has
1: to become ironic.
0: Yeah, like you'll be surrounded by personal assistants. Any basically. objects in your house will roll your eyes if you say <laughs> the wrong thing. Oh, God. Jeremy, you're so lame. That, that'll I'll be the adolescent yeah. stage of AI. All my outlets have been complaining I never plug anything into them. I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm too good for you now? You, you like the one on the left more? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I think, which is a kind of an, it's funny to think about that because it's a very googly thought when you think about it, right? Like Google, you always think is making, they have this concept of the moonshot, right? That they, they've they written about extensively and like that every, you know, every, at least 20% of their energy should be going towards ideas that only have like a one in 10 chance of working out. But if they did, would change yeah. the world. Like
1: Google Wave
0: yeah <laughs> google wave which they- google
1: wave is interesting because wasn't it like what slack is now
0: mm, yeah well that's funny you say that because you, you, no one knew what, how to describe google wave and that was one of the reasons that it was it uh, was too uh, early. early yeah it, it, it was I, like a I like collab- examples. It was collaboration software
1: yeah i like examples of ideas that are too
0: early and then five years later someone comes out and just uh but now you're right. Like Google Wave exists in kind of uh, in Slack, in products like Trello, Asana, all these project management soft, all this project management software. The, the, the that
1: premise that email is a very old protocol and we need something new.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like in f- every company now has some kind of a Google Wave uh, thing. Facebook for work. Anyway, there's like there's a there's a there's a million different companies. That but
1: maybe we can go to the beginning of Google because mm-hmm. I remember when Google came out. Because search engines before Google were more like directories and they were more like content pages. So they were filled with uh, suggestions. Mm-hmm. And when you yeah, think like of Yahoo and AltaVista, they were a destination like TV guide. And it's like, we'll, we'll be the TV guide of the web. And, know, then, and then Google came so along bad. and I remember someone showed it to me. It's like, you know how all those pages are cluttered? Look at this. And then that was really the revolution. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's just a search box. That's
0: it and that was like a design revolution as well you know it was yeah, the first product that it, it said was don't also
1: use me the, the, the search was actually better than on the other pages so mm-hmm. they had a secret sauce that yeah, still, yeah. and but they
0: worked on like everything behind the scenes more than it wasn't about the flash yeah. in front of the but the,
1: this is an interesting point where mm-hmm. design actually makes the product the perception of the product different because I spoke to some engineers um, who worked on different search products and and I was talking about how Google search is always so much better than the other searches and when you think of for example Facebook search it's very very tricky they've been trying to figure out how you can search restaurants my friends like in Washington and it just doesn't work it just never
0: works it's terrible
1: but he said that actual web search they comp- they did comparative research on Yahoo search and Bing and it was pretty much all the same quality it's just the design and the integration of other products of Google that makes you think that Google is the best search engine but that mm-hmm at this point uh, web search is a commodity it's it's not that special anymore
0: so brand is the only thing that they have left. yeah
1: and you but user interface as well yeah
0: what's funny about that is that um, there I mean search is not really their product the product that they sell is uh, ad words or advertising uh, well the, the value they
1: offer to the user is search and the way they monetize it is ads
0: yeah, so, so the product well, is still search. They have two products. One is search, and that one's, or one side of the product is search, and the other side of the product is placed advertisements in that search. Very uh, specific
1: advertising. But Facebook is getting better at, at, uh, at knowing more about the user and being more specific with
0: advertising. Yeah, and they, you know, they, they, they figured that out, and specifically they figured that out on mobile and, Go- you know, so before. Do you think Mark
1: Zuckerberg Google stuff?
0: Mark Zucker- yeah, what does he Well, or, what else is he going to do? Well, maybe he uses DuckDuckGo. But you're right because Facebook is not searchable or, and so Google always saw that as a threat. Like the more content that we put on Facebook, which is a like a walled it's garden not indexable. platform, it's not indexable and therefore it's not available to the Google search algorithms and then therefore uh, potentially not monetizable as advertising for advertising revenue.
1: And and the idea of search as a central way of navigating the internet kind of went from this idea of thinking of finite to thinking in infinite. So a directory was always like, we have 1,200 dog pages and we have 1,200 (laughs) cat pages. Oh, we added one. We have 1,201 cat pages. And I think Google was one of the key moments where you stop organizing things and start searching things. So the way people take photos on their phone and then Google made a good app where you just search your photos for, like, birthday party, and it'll figure it out. So it, this idea that computing, we used to think, okay, I have 2 megabytes, so I can save 12 photos. That was, mm-hmm. That's the classic way, uh, restrained. And it's more and more going to infinite storage, so people just...
0: Well, uh, what's interesting about what editing, you're saying, though. Yeah. Well, no, no, You uh, keep going, sorry. No, okay. no,
1: it's just that the, it, editing is too cumbersome for most people.
0: Yeah, but what's kind of key to me and what you're talking about is what we were just talking about a few moments ago, which is that more and more what qualifies as search relies on this kind of intelligence. So, like the early Google alg- algorithm, which was called Backrub, you know, built up an it- intelligent model of of what you it thought you were looking for based on a, a score, like a like a credibility score, basically. So, I, that it but based
1: just, on your previous uh, queries.
0: Yeah, based on your previous queries and whether. And also like whether the website you were looking for or that matched your query was referred to by other websites. It, it modeled itself after what's like common in academia as a literature review. So it's like, OK, how many if this reference is here in this article, then it must be more important. And if it's in these other places, it must be even more important. But what happened over time, of course, is that these like SEO hackers, they call them search engine optimization Hackers. I don't know if they put hacker at the end of their title, but these SEO experts, they started to figure out how that worked, They started worked, gaming obviously. the system. They started gaming the system and creating, I'm sure you've seen these types of pages before, these kind of like fake content pages or contact, yeah, context pages. it's funny. Like about.com yeah. and stuff like be, that. Because
1: before Google, the meta tag was really important. So you, you had an HTML page, and uh, meta tags are tags you don't see when you look at the page, but... Uh, Uh, They say something about the thing you're looking at. Yeah, so it's like the topic, the description, and the keywords. And then if you just pasted lots of keywords, search engines would be like, oh, this has so many keywords, it must (laughs) be a really important page. Yeah. And then Google figured out, no, all the SEO hackers are using this trick, so we're actually going to
0: ignore that. And we're going to ignore it. We might actually give it a negative score. Yeah, yeah.
1: so it's a constant cat-and-mouse game. So it gets... um, The hacks get more and more realistic. It's almost like the history of art where it was just very primitive and you just had to shout, like, if you just put 15 times pizza, your page would be on top of the search results because it said pizza 15 times. (laughs) And then now it's like, no, you have to have a blog with actual video content about pizzas and people have to like it so you have to get a click farm involved and -hmm. you have to get other people to share your things and it has to look real, but... It gets more and more sophisticated, just yeah, yeah, like be video a more games.
0: Sophisticated con and what's interesting is that Google actually stopped making the algorithm uh, manually and started uh, using this thing called DeepRank. Uh, you know, which is like, I think it's called DeepRank. That's uh, using its DeepMind artificial intelligence algorithms to op- optimize continuously. So it's changing the rules continuously and optimizing based on. Uh, search criteria and success criteria uh, on its own. And so it's harder and harder to game the system. And uh, it's almost impossible really. Of course you can like the thing that's not impossible is you can still like go out and spend money to create content that people in like like or enjoy. But the yeah. thing that's interesting there is It gets funny because you you're
1: actually creating good content. You're trying to fix the system. <laughs>
0: exactly. You're either creating good content or you're hacking the psychology of the world, so you're saying like, oh, well, I think, uh, you know, men like bikini photos, so I'll just make this page of bikini photos and sneak this in there, you know. So like, bas- and then you and get we- to the whole fake news thing. Yeah, then you get back to fake news, and I'm sorry about that. I had to get there, <laughs> but uh, but, what but you, it is what a, it, it is an is interesting, interesting
1: in terms of uh, information digestion. If you if you take a few steps back, like there's a machine that everyone uses to access information. Is Google. And the machine is kind of dumb, so you can trick it. And then you start to learn the tricks, but then the machine starts to learn, oh, they're using tricks, so no, bring me some real content. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, okay, we'll bring real content. But then it turns out, oh, if we make really ridiculous content, people will actually like that even more than reality. So, And then the world becomes a cartoon version of itself, which is where we're at now.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, like that's why... <laughs> Like I always say Jeremy Bailey famous new media artist or in press I'll say self-proclaimed famous new media artist But that was a Google I think I've talked about it before a Google hack because I know that if people if other people say it Google will believe it's true <laughs> So <laughs> then so then if you type famous new media artist, I should be the number one uh, Thing that comes up on Google, which is the case uh, today now. How would they ever become aware of that as like a hack? Um, it's not really possible because I've allowed I, everyone has bought into that myth. And what if eventually? Well, that's I like creating
1: finished? a new word because it, it, yeah. if you want to be unique, you create a new word.
0: And mm-hmm. if enough people start to mimic the word, at some point it'll be added to the dictionary. Yeah, but these are the same tools that, like, um, like someone like Jack Trout might have talked about in the Twenty-Two Immutable Laws of Marketing or his positioning books. These are like classic marketing books where they, you know would have talked about how to manipulate the sociology of of a situation for your brand right and google, like there's nothing google can do to get around that because it would have to take a moral stance it would have to say well that's where we're at now i think because isn't that interesting yeah. though like yeah, yeah, i think yeah. it's culturally interesting for the history of artists right because right? it'd have to say like this is important and or i think this is more important because so it would have to make these inferences and it's really interesting to think about that in relationship with what we were talking about yeah and then Ruben. and then
1: you get to something like ISIS or Infowars or the whole spectrum of crazy people and and then it's like well be, because Google does censor things like they'll censor torrent websites or things yeah. like that they're like yeah. okay that's clearly Those copyright infringement we're not going to support that <laughs> yeah. but when it's like someone and then you get to that letter of the person who worked at Google it's like uh how far yeah. does someone have to go into eugenics for us to fire the person? <clears throat> right? no.
0: Yeah, so, so suddenly, like, it's like, it's, I find it fascinating because they've created the world inside their company. <laughs> um, and then I always say that every product that a company builds is a demonstration of their internal politics, right? Or their internal uh, governance. You know, what, if it's not working, like if a company is like terrible and people are yelling at each other, you can usually see that the product's yelling at itself. And so... Can you give I, an example? A good example that I always use is like you know go to some like crappy marketing agency, uh, their website, and if at the top of the page there's a carousel with five different uh, (laughs) areas of the the company, like we do this, we do yeah we do eugenics management, we also do (laughs) SEO morality. You'll find that uh, it's because inside that company there are different groups and they're fighting against each other for who gets top of the fold placement. But um, with the with the Google thing, I think if we come back to it for just a second and uh, and think about um, oh, where was I on this thought? <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I was thinking like well, they're creating a micro world. Yeah, yeah this this micro about. world. Yeah, uh, that yeah, the, with this Andy Rubin stuff as well, like whoever owns this they're yeah this is the thing they've been well, fighting everybody
1: wants to be a platform and then all of a sudden you have a, a really big responsibility you want to be a platform which yeah is very ambitious but then all of a sudden you find out well not everybody in the platform behaves uh, to what we think is decent
0: yeah and also so we yeah and and also there's this libertarian kind of ideal within that uh, california ecosystem which is like keep the government out of the internet and then but more and more and we've saw this with Zuckerberg like starting starting to act like a politician we're going to become more and more like a little government and then but then we're not so little we're like a big government in fact we're like an extra national government we're like bigger <laughs> we're bigger than the we united states we have more states money than, than most countries we have more money yeah right we have more money we have more population right and we have more power in a way uh if you think about ideological power uh, than these countries, and then mind control. <laughs> well, it, to a certain extent, algorithmic mind control. But oh, yeah. yeah. So then, as these AI systems emerge, it's even outside of their control. And this is really funny, I think, for for me in terms of the history of art, which is like, you know, as we as artists, you've seen artists start to investigate working with artificial intelligence. It's something that not even the scientists working on it fully understand. You know how it functions because the idea of a neural network is that it's kind of uh, self-operating. Of course, they understand the training data, but they don't understand fully how it interprets that data. So eventually, you might end up with a system that no one understands that runs the world. (laughs) I think that's why Elon Musk is like...
1: What? Yeah, we talked about this in sci-fi,
0: but it's always, future scenarios are always scary. Yeah, well, Elon Musk is like... uh, And also, like, the UN this week put out, like like, a... a statement, or there's something I, I'm 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 poorly referenced here about a statement forbidding like the militarization of AI um, uh, because you know eventually like it is <laughs> it's so absurd but like you eventually get to this point where potentially they it's might not terminated. press like yeah, yeah but they might not press like fire missiles but they might like create like a race war or some like <laughs> political scandal or something you, you know just might happen because we don't understand the system of i want
1: to i want to scale it down a little bit to uh, my <laughs> yeah, personal too frustration far. yeah and and uh, because of course big problems are really big but yeah, one of the things w- that really makes me nervous this is going to sound very seinfeldian but airline ticket pricing Mm. where often you're like, who cares, privacy, shmivacy, whatever. (laughs) But then you're like, okay, they're tracking me. They know how much I spend on toothpaste. So then they think, oh, we can add a bit more to his airline ticket because he spends on good toothpaste, so he probably can afford it. Mm. And this idea with variable pricing uh, and, and shopping online, and the filter bubble. So you you have your internet that served to you, and it's very different from the internet that served to someone else. So it's like yeah. yeah, yeah. It, so that's very opaque. I can't, I've I've tried uh, surfing for tickets in an uh, incognito window, and then I've tried go on the same search on someone else's machine, and I've looked online at references. So, and I've spoken to people who worked. They made the website for KLM, and they're like, "Yeah, there's totally variable ticket pricing, and it's based on your browsing behavior." And
0: no, yeah, I didn't know that. I bought plane tickets yesterday. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you, what you
1: got to do is find a broke friend and, and buy a ticket from their machine.
0: That's really interesting, and that that brings up one of my favorite good points to make outside of this. I don't know if I've ever made this on the podcast, but which is that we're heading uh, into this the postmodern software reality. So. Hold hang on for a second. <laughs> <laughs> which is that up until like like now, basically, software and tools that we use have been mostly modernist. Like that is to say, someone at the top designed them and and then said like they observed the world and said, Okay, this is the right thing for the world. Here you go, world and the world is like, Okay, I'll buy that one. I think that works well. And there's some feedback loops in there which were like the market, right? The market would say this one is more popular and better, and they would decide that. But generally speaking, it's still designed from the top down. Um, so like Gmail is a good example, or Google as a search algorithm. is like, ah, it was invented and we used it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what is happening as AI systems and as emergent systems uh, start to take over design processes is that they might be tailored to the individual or to some micro trend, and therefore, increasingly subjective that is to say your experience of the thing is increasingly like you just said through your eyes and not th- through the eyes of someone above you right so it's from the bottom up now that's really good in a way if it's empowering right could also be really weird and yeah. bad if you start to build these like almost like product bubbles or And then if you
1: if you go back to something like the cinema and the mall which we've spoken about Mm-hmm. If those physical um, distributions disappear, the physical yeah. distribution of entertainment or the physical distribution, uh, if everything's online, then you don't even know how other people see the world. Like, You could still see, you could go to the mall, you could maybe go to the cheaper mall, but at some point everything's on your screen and the only way you go out is to go hiking, but other, other than that you're not going to a town to buy toothpaste.
0: Well yeah, like so if in the nineteen sixties we had a single ideology that focused on free love and prosperity for all, we might be heading towards a future in which you have a million different ideologies. The same with music. It's it's hard to follow music. Like what's the thing now? It's like, well there's there's uh
1: dub noise or there's uh <laughs> like a dub strip step or yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Is definitely a thing? Because I think it should be. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a natural combo. But yeah, like it, it does it from a, like if we can get this back to art and culture, you know, kind of the point of the podcast, it does bring us to an interesting point where uh, potentially. What's going on? Yeah, potentially there's more and more divisiveness in terms of, like, how we experience the world, less and less. I
1: think a lot of curators were excited about post-internet. They're like, finally, a movement we can label (laughs) and we can be for or against. And then it's just like,
0: oh, no, no, it's too confusing. It's going to unravel, like, um, like, quite a lot from here, in my opinion um and you're gonna like the idea that we would have these macro sociolo- sociological trends maybe it's still possible but i believe even you know not not to make a political but in a recent political charlottesville thing there was like so much difficulty in people parsing how many different groups were involved right mm-hmm. and so but, but our that's not new is this, was-
1: this idea that the 60s everybody was for the same cause i, I just watched a documentary on a dutch artist and he Lived in Paris in the mid 60s and the, the mm-hmm. 68 uh, revolu- student revolution uh, riots, whatever. And there was a lot of disagreement. And he was like, the Marxists were fighting the socialists, and the socialists were fighting the inclusivists, and it, it, it was the exact same thing. It just,
0: yeah, you're right. And now that I think about it, my whole argument's pretty cliche. <laughs> <laughs> because for forever it's been this debate between individualism and uh, collectivism right like that's like the america it's the american ideal versus the european ideal when you think about it like the american ideal is like you know a rags to riches every person for themselves right you pull yourself yeah. yourself up by the bootstraps but the european ideal would be like post war anyway okay let's look out for the common good let's let's all come together to heal um, you would probably know more about the actual the reality uh, ideo- of that. reality of that having grown yeah. up in Europe, but uh uh in Canada it's, we have this concept of pluralism like everyone has their own ideal and their own ideology, but we all come together and agree that we're all important or we and you know no judgment basically The,
1: the movie I watched is a point yesterday. It started with the student riots in LA and, and there were people from the Black Panther movement talking to white people and telling them, you can't be revolutionary because you're white. And everybody was yelling against each other. And then mm-hmm. the, the Black Panther spokesperson said, are you willing to die? And then somebody in the student, a white person said, yeah, I'm ready to die, but not of boredom. And then he left. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, the discussion uh, just got boring <laughs> that sounds like uh, what most people say about the art world yeah. <laughs> like a regular person <laughs> on the street like, oh yeah why are you guys arguing about this but, why are you but, people uh, arguing uh, about this maybe this,
1: this, this uh, story of, of um, modernism being about clarity and the other one about chaos so mm-hmm. Google sort of brings order into chaos but in a non uh, st- structured way so, mm-hmm. so just search everything but then it's, what's interesting to me is that they, within their own whole entity of Alphabet, have a lot of conflicting products. So uh, it's almost as if using Google products on an Android phone is more confusing than on an iPhone. On an mm-hmm. iPhone, it's pretty clear, and then you just have one messaging app. But on a Google phone, there's actually multiple competing messaging apps, and it's kind of confusing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a strategy. To It's sort of a Darwinian thing. Like, Let's see which team wins. Mm-hmm. And same with chrome os and and Android, like let's just make two operating systems well, and now yeah, they sure. allow Android apps on Chrome OS, which is kind of doesn't
0: work so well because it so these bug- are cultural differences between Apple and Google. actually, Kim Scott talks about it in that book I mentioned yeah, earlier, but yeah. like culturally Google, this is what was difficult about managing in both places was that Google there's very much this idea that even no matter what your status is and in fact, Google pioneered under Marissa Mayer this. Uh, product management program like where they trained product managers who are the people that build uh, products basically or like that lead the teams that build products she they, they were having trouble because like older people and this is kind of ageist actually were unable to uh, like they couldn't train them the Google way which was like all there's a bunch there's a whole bunch of things that go into the Google way of making software and so they're like oh yeah forget about these old people let's take people fresh out of school and train them on the Google way by building this Google school inside of Google.
1: And also having the the dorm room life where food is prepared and your laundry yeah. is done. You never have to leave the sure. campus.
0: I mean, those are just perks for going, do, going with the Google way. But yeah, they would take them straight out of college. Like, But it, it
1: was a method of, of prolonging college life. Yeah. Where you, you don't worry about practical stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Basically, like we'll take care of everything, inf- including like training you. You don't even have to come. In, you know, just come to us with a passion for technology or whatever, and we'll transform you into. You don't even um, need a degree. To, you had to have a degree. Yeah, okay. and it probably had to be from Stanford. But like, all <laughs> I'm saying is, <laughs> they did. You didn't have to have a degree have in that specific college. profession because no, very few schools, if any, well, none at the time, had this uh, product management as like something you could take in school, and so. But they didn't want old product managers because they were, like, set in their way. So they started to train these young product managers. So no Microsoft alumni. But they created this culture where anyone can come up with an idea, and it doesn't matter what their level is. This is what I wanted to get to, which is, like, they could be brand new to the company, and their voice is considered just as important as someone who's been there for 20 or 30 years. At least that's what they said. They had this anti-hierarchy... Kind of idea early on, um, if anyone who's read the Googleplex, which is kind of the one of the Bibles on on Google, inside Google, they had this idea of no management like from a hierarchical perspective as well. So it'd just be like total flat hierarchy. Eventually, that's bad for people's careers. So they did introduce managers who are, you know, when you think about a manager, it's actually more of a mentor or coach. And so Google, but Google still has this philosophy of a good idea can come from anywhere, from whatever level. Whereas at Apple... They had the opposite, which is like, also don't, re- Google has this philosophy of release often, like fail, fail fast, yeah, fail yeah. often. But Apple has the opposite, like get it right the first time. <laughs> uh, and so at Apple, they have a very closed culture and they actually, people stay at Apple for a very long time. And seniority is actually something that they uh, kind of like uh, privilege. And so, you know, like if you look at Johnny Ives team, he has had the same team for 15 or 20 years you know, which is incredible. Like every person that leaves that Johnny Ive industrial design team, they make an announcement about it, right? Like so-and-so can't believe they're leaving. Um, And I, I've only ever read about one or two people leaving that core team. And of course they have a much larger team below that. But uh, these two different cultures have created two different kinds of products in the world. But do
1: you think uh, in terms of, if you just look at a computer science challenge, like if you want to be on the cutting edge of computer science, like, Uh, making machines more efficient, making machines smarter. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's enough of a challenge for a developer at any of those top companies? It's more like a culture choice, but that if you want to be intellectually stimulated, because that's what talent retention is about, is that the -hmm. the top talent, whatever the top talent in any business, they want to be challenged. It's not about money. Yeah, you're actually
0: a 1,000% right on that. Yeah, it's not good math, but... It's always about like how interesting the challenge is for the smartest people. But I think for almost anyone, right? Like no matter what your level no, is. No, I think want to for some
1: like... people, there's a lot of people who don't want to be challenged too much because they don't, they're not a, don't have a research brain. They just want to do a good job and not worry about being on top of their game and they might get
0: fired and, and they might get outranked. Do you think that there, are, there are artists like that too? Like as an artist, do you seek uh, new challenges?
1: No, there's a lot of people who just refine an idea they found. Uh, like they found a thing and they just go with it their whole life.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. There may be kind of two kinds of artists. Like yeah. uh, once I've done something and, and then people are like, why aren't you doing more of that thing we love? Why are you doing this stuff we hate? I'll <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> be like, but I did it. Like you can yeah. go look at that thing again. Just go well, look yeah, at it again. My, there it is. My,
1: my theory is you, you, you'll never know if you've gone over the hill unless you've gone over the hill.
0: Yeah, well, I was always taught that... And I was talking to another artist about this earlier this week, that if you're not scared, like, of, and you're not doing something that's potentially a risk to your whole career... <laughs> yeah, but the risk might prob- be
1: repetition. No, like, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but
0: if you're not aware of that feeling, then you're not doing the right thing. Like, you really should be throwing yourself off a cliff, like, you know, once a year kind of thing. That was what I was taught anyway. Yeah. Um,
1: but so you work with developers and maybe... Uh, do you work with developers who worked at any of these big American companies?
0: Yeah, I have uh, a VP of engineering that I work with very closely, was an uh, engineer at Google. Um, and, and, and did he
1: feel challenged there, or is the machine so big that you're just a very small part of
0: a huge entity? Yeah, they definitely felt challenged there. The thing that, that he will describe, and similar peers at Microsoft, I've had peers from almost all the top tech companies, But they always talk, especially people I've met from Google, will talk about this ambition and like, kind of, it is really that like individualist. Well, no, there's like an individualist mission or spirit that we were just talking about a few minutes ago in relationship to like nationhood, where like you like you just you see a problem you go and fix it yourself you have an idea you pull together the resources and you make it happen and Mm -hmm. this is very different from the corporate philosophy of like okay we'll wait for the president to tell us what to do and then we'll uh, criticize what he says so that that culture
1: (laughs) results in like five different messaging apps on android that all have an overlapping functionality
0: yeah, sorry it took us so long to get there. But that's basically why you have that. It's based on the, it's similar, like I said earlier, that you, it, it reflects the actual political or organizational composition of the game. Yeah,
1: because I, I went from, in art school, I didn't have a laptop. I had a desktop in, in my own place. And then if I went to school, I would just log in and have the Google suite. And at first it was Hotmail. So I I went from a more web-based way of working to more and more Local because now you always have your phone, so you're not logging into someone's computer to check your email. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the Apple model of more native apps and the Google model of more web apps are almost like a different uh, stage of my life, like, if yeah, you know what I'm saying.
0: But customers are like consumers are generally split, like, you know, a large percentage of them, it's only about 20% now, would prefer like an Apple. You know, vision of the world, which is like just one perfect thing, like it's kind of like a modernist point of view, and yeah. then the the Google view of the world is like, well, we're going to do ten things. You choose the one you like best, and in the future, the one you like best will be designed by you. Actually, you know, this is what I feel like. Uh, and so, th- but those two views are going to compete both, for a long time. Uh, yeah, you've used
1: both Android and an iPhone. Uh, y- you you kind of switch often. Yeah, and
0: I design for both.
1: Yeah, and so it, so. Uh, it, that's very yeah. fascinating to me because I never went to the other side.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's disorienting at first, but then you kind of learn to like certain things that you didn't have on the other platform. It's kind of funny, like it's almost like it, not to make it political, but it'd be funny if left people had to be right for a little while, and right <laughs> <laughs> left is like go hate just on like, some but, black people for. But a while. like it would be funny if the phone platforms themselves were like, oh, this is a Democrat phone. <laughs> 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 oh, you're on but, uh, that Republican phone. But right? but
1: what's your experience uh, with the um, with Android? With 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 uh, the uh, flipping f- from both uh, going going back and forth. Oh, going back and forth. I mean, I uh, right maybe now I'm, maybe, uh, uh, I'm waiting wanna, for the new iPhone. I want to specify the question it. a little bit because yeah. I feel like on a on a desktop computer you can switch and like maybe you're editing a video on a on a PC and then you go back to your uh, Keynote on a Mac and it's not as drastic. It feels like the phone is so close and so instant that. When things don't work on a phone, it's almost like your finger is not working. It's like it's really p- part of your anatomy. So that's hmm. why I'm interested in you flipping between, or maybe you don't feel that way.
0: Uh, well, I go between Windows and Mac too, and I, you know, I feel more comfortable on the Mac. But then I, I, it stretches my mind to use another platform, and and like I know when I started using Android, like there were things you could do that I'd never imagined even possible, like uh, swipe keyboards, as an example, early on on Android, like. They had a totally different way of inputting characters, it, Is right? it, Is it
1: often with those type of things? So on Android, you'll have a feature that won't be out on the iOS for another three years, but it's mm-hmm. actually a bit too early. And it's exciting, but then it turns out, <laughs> oh, no, it actually takes longer than I thought. Yeah. Or like with swiping, for example, you probably use that for a while, and then you're like, this is actually annoying.
0: Well, the thing is I was using it like religiously on Android and then I switched back to iOS and they had a swipe keyboard, but it didn't work as well or there was something not quite right about it. Like it didn't fit or jam well. And so I stopped and I went back to just classic keyboards and I was like, but I used to love swipe keyboards. What happened? Like why? <laughs> I would never use one now. Uh, so I'm considering going back to Android for a little while and just uh, to, to feel that again. But um, yeah, but what, I don't know. Like,
1: and what made you go back to the iPhone?
0: Uh, recently? Oh, in the first place, it was just um, it was just like that. I should sh- switch back and forth. I just have that philosophy. But um, but but how much uh, in my oh, in the sorry. last in
1: the last ten years? How much? Were I'm not you being were? honest though. I'm not being
0: honest. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. Is like the phone I had. The everything on it stopped working. Is <laughs> the old Windows problem like like the it's great it for a while yeah like the headphone jack wouldn't work and then like buttons on it wouldn't work <laughs> and then, like i couldn't charge it up and then like pieces of it literally started to fall off <laughs> and i was like <laughs> it was an htc and i was like this is pretty high end like what's going on here um hmm. so it was just kind of bad, bad but iphones quality. break too yeah, but Android has this fragmentation problem. I don't know if how, how With we're going to do that. drivers
1: and, and like the connection between hardware and software. Yeah.
0: I hope this doesn't evolve into pure tech talk and we've, we're losing- uh, I love pure tech talk. <laughs> okay, this is like the soft. <laughs> but basically, because Android has like this limitless fragmentation, which is to say that there are so many different versions of their yeah, operating. Yeah, but that's system exactly a reflection
1: devices. of the company culture.
0: In a way, yeah, it is, yeah. That yeah. fragmentation, though, and then adopted by other companies who have fragmented it further, means that you're very rarely on the latest version of the operating system, which means that your device becomes obsolete faster. But the, the search function on
1: uh, Android is probably better than on an iPhone. Um, mm,
0: like searching search for apps and stuff?
1: No, just the idea that you, you... I thought Android just starts with a huge search uh, option on the home screen that's just by default because yeah. search is so central to Google
0: yeah back when I was using they were pushing Google Now and that was the central thing which was um, like don't search for it we're going to actually present it to you before you even knew you wanted to search for it I, uh, that hasn't really progressed Google did you now, like it? Uh, it was rarely like that relevant Be because like, it could only do a few things like you know, you should be at work. Now it's all stuff that we take for granted, like, oh, leave for work now if you want to be there on time or, uh, you know, sports scores or here's the weather. I I never get to
1: enter a work address whenever any operating system. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: they're not designed for you. See, and that takes us back to my original point, which is like, so the people that are building these products, and this comes all the way back to our first statement of that engineer, uh, what I think is really interesting is the people building it are potentially introducing biases from their own lives, right? And they're reflection of those organizations. So if you have an organization that is non-representative, they're going to create products that are non-representative. So you made a great point, which is like, not everyone has a home and work. And yet, like these operating systems just take that Everything for granted, is right? like
1: about the commute to work, about getting the coffee near work, yeah. ordering the coffee when you're at work, and, and Yeah.
0: So how much? Like, how many what about of those us bums? Well, yeah. where, no, but where's like the independent artist or the independent, you know, entrepreneur? Well, there's that, a lot you know, of people who work at home. The mom or sure. dad who works at home. Yeah, in yeah. fact, it's thirty percent uh, of the population. No, no you're
1: being very uh, bigoted now because it's not just mom and dads who work at home. There's tons of people <laughs> running very
0: successful companies from home, or there's yeah. billionaires trading stocks from home. So, no, of course, thirty yeah. percent of the American population is self-employed, right? But those thirty percent are not reflected inside. Uh, Google or Facebook. Yeah, or
1: someone who has a flexible workspace and sometimes works at one address and sometimes at another address.
0: So this actually did end up affecting a a product in a political way that is kind of interesting. Airbnb ended up in like the most difficult position with one of its products, which was, uh, and we're a little bit far from Google now, but Airbnb had, like, if you were a person of color, you had a 20% less likely chance of being able to reserve a room on Airbnb. And they're like, Oh shit. <laughs> we like <laughs> unintentionally created. Yeah, but it, do you blame that on the users or on the software? Well, it's a little bit of both because in a in the old world with a hotel you know if you called a hotel they wouldn't be like are you black <laughs> Cause yeah if you're black you're not getting a reservation right or like if you booked through hotels.com or but something, then with, you just got with, it automatically
1: with ride hailing it's the opposite it was hard for people of color to get a cab because the driver would see the person and yeah now they everybody has an equal chance you can have an avatar that doesn't even show your face so nobody yeah. knows who
0: Yeah. But I guess like the good point that I wanted to make this episode, if we could come all the way back full circle, is like Google is, we didn't even talk about like, you know, we started the podcast saying Google's so big, there's so much to talk about. We didn't talk about about 99% of the things that they're doing but right all now. All the products, self-driving the pro- cars,
1: productivity, yeah. and uh, do they yeah. do cloud computing? Uh, I mean, a clou- oh, of course. yeah, cloud Google hosting.
0: completes directly with Amazon's uh, cloud services. Uh, yeah. and they I don't are mind right making
1: a longer episode of, because it's Google.
0: <laughs> well, no, it's interesting. Yeah, they have cloud services. They, re- and they And then I in the news this week is they recently signed a deal with Walmart for their shopping yeah. uh, to be done with, you know, so that you could on a Google Home order your, your food been, and stuff. Yeah,
1: I've been a little bit unhappy with Amazon lately.
0: Have you? To tell you the truth.
1: What do you... Um, well, I mean, besides like... Okay, this is going to get Seinfeldian as well. But I like gel toothpaste. I think it's better than the opaque one. Okay. So, and then I like that brand Tom's. It's pretty good. Oh, yeah. Tom's of Maine. Yeah. So then there's Tom's <laughs> toothpaste. And then you can order a single tube of toothpaste. And with Prime, you get free shipping. Okay. But if you search for the gel toothpaste, you have the option of buying eight tubes of toothpaste for $23. Mm-hmm which okay. is a good price, per, but who wants to store eight tubes of toothpaste? <laughs> Not so in then, your apartment, That would take up like yeah, a large. Yeah, so then there's a, the option of ordering a single uh, tube of gel paste, but then you have to do it through Prime Pantry. So you've already paid $99 a year <laughs> for Prime, but then the Prime Pantry box costs six ninety five, dollars uh, and you have to fill it with other stuff. So the whole easiness of, oh, I'll just buy one tube is out the door. Then, okay... There's Whole Foods where I get my groceries, so I can get the Tom's toothpaste there, you would think. Okay. But they don't have the gel toothpaste anymore, and they're owned by Amazon now. So I think there's a conspiracy <laughs> to get you on Prime Pantry and pay more. Even though you already paid for free shipping, they want, still want you to pay for shipping. I've never even heard of
0: Prime Pantry, but it makes you laugh just to hear it. He I have to put my gel toothpaste in the Prime Pantry. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of a
1: Prime Pantry box is that you order a whole bunch of things in small quantities and they put it all in one box and you save on materials. That's fine, but you have to pay extra for it. This is okay. weird. But yeah. It, it, in, in other news, the, the Amazon acquisition of Whole Foods, they announced that avocados are gonna get cheaper. <laughs> Monday, so I'm excited <laughs> because I spend a lot of money at Whole Foods, and Get if we can, if we can, if we can cut thirty percent of that, it's it's a big impact on my life.
0: But you know, like we, the tech industry, if we could just like that's an extra
1: extra amount of money that they can then make tickets more expensive because I'll probably spend it on that.
0: But I think it's interesting because, like, the tech world talks about how it liberated us from kind of the constraints of a few big companies owning everything, <laughs> right? Like, that there were, there were a few, like, major, like, monopolies. The Walmarts. Yeah, and, and the- then the tech industry came along and they disrupted it with wild <laughs> innovation. But at this point, there's, like, four. We've talked about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four, like, uh, you know, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook and maybe you throw in Microsoft now as a fifth, and yeah they, people they have used so to much control Uber, over everything. they don't
1: do that anymore,
0: yeah, but they have so much control over absolutely like every aspect i I of think
1: that, that I don't know if other people have this, but there's this this uh, lust or desire for perfection for things to just work together hmm and Then that's the same discussion with Android versus iOS. And it's clear that some things are better on the one and some things are better. And why can't we just merge them and have everything perfect? Mm -hmm. But you need... Yeah. I don't know what I'm getting at, but there's this... uh, We always talk about Constant Dullout, but he likes to have multiple SIM cards. He makes a lot of work about SIM cards even. So he wants a phone that has multiple SIM cards. So it can't be an iOS phone. But then... There's this app in uh, New York that people use called Seesaw uh, to visit galleries and know when openings are happening. It's very important as an artist. So he had to buy an iPhone off of eBay, like an older one, because he's in New York for a year. And just to navigate the city and be part of the art community, you have to have an iPhone. Because Seesaw is only on iPhone. There's no web version of it and it's it, it, there's so many galleries in New York that you would have to sign up for all the mailing lists it, it's impossible to manage and that app really it, it also the app also works in other cities it works in Berlin and London and mm-hmm. LA but it really for me even it made the city much more navigable whatever you say it it made the,
0: you can grasp the, yeah. the, the art world better but um, it's like but it's isolated on a single platform and i think yeah, that's and, a that's and, a really good point
1: and and so it, he wants to have two SIM cards, and he wants to have seesaw, and there's no solution. To this. So that's what I mean. It'll you'll never get everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, he, well, it sounds like he does have everything. He has both, but not everyone. Yeah, but can then you, to have you have, have yeah. to f- you
1: have to carry a lot of devices around.
0: Yeah, you have to spend a lot of money to uh, be independent of that. I mean, in the past, you would have just bought a timeout magazine or something like that, or some kind of art newspaper. Yeah. And it would have been uh, like platform agnostic. I mean, it would be on the platform called Paper. Uh. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but for me, any platform that requires me to carry atoms with me is already a big. uh, That's a big thing to ask. Because you travel. Yeah. Well, also, you don't want to carry two phones in your pockets, and you have your Mm. wallet and your keys and. uh.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to get. I mean, it is a very speaking of stress. (laughs) why don't we talk about this ad for this app oh my god we were supposed to do this at the halfway mark and we i totally forgot so we have an advertisement this week we 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 put out the call for ads and then ads flooded in uh, in the form of two ads uh one of (laughs) (laughs) of which we'll read now i guess
1: yeah hi jeremy oh hey raf What the hell, Jeremy? Is it really too much to ask to speak my complete fucking name? I swear, one day, I will kill you over this. You do swear. Oh, hey, man, I'm sorry. Pause. Ugh, sighs. (laughs) Man, I'm sorry, too. I just had a really stressful week. I was in Tokyo on Monday, then we spent a few days in Brazil. Now I'm back in the U.S. since yesterday, but tomorrow I fly out to my opening on the South Pole. So I'm kind of stressed
0: out. Wow. Seems like you could... Really use something to calm you down.
1: Yeah, that would be nice for once.
0: Well, have you heard of this great iOS game called Zirkel? I have not. Like circle, the shape? Almost, but it's a German word spelled (laughs) 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 Spelled Z-I-R-K-E-L. People all over the world use this puzzle game to catch a break from their stressful life. It is almost a meditative experience, they say. Oh, I don't know. I'm not too much into video games anymore. But Zirkle is different. Besides its innovative gameplay, it has nice toned-down geometric graphics and a soothing soundtrack. You should really check it out. All right. I think I will then. Where can I find it? Easy. Just go to ZirkleGame.com or search for Magic of the Rings on the App Store. Jeremy, I think you just saved my day. You're welcome, Raphael. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank, thank, you. You, thank you for sending that in. It's great yeah. to, uh, check out that game. I I actually have to install it uh, myself. Yeah. Uh, that's my da- job today. Whew. Okay, well... Okay. Uh, we're, we're not we're, at the halfway mark. In, but I, I think yeah. Google <laughs> is, is such a
1: phenomenon. It, it's, it impacts every aspect of life, so I, I think it's okay to talk a little longer.
0: Yeah, well, I mean... I don't I mean, know what, what it, else to talk about say The only thing I want to say is, yeah. is,
1: is uh, I find Gmail such a beautiful product. I always think The original. That, that, it, yeah, and I always thought of that as the Eiffel Tower of just pure engineering and the, the beauty of engineering itself.
0: Okay, and that's uh, ironic, because Gmail is representative of w- the culture that I just talked about. It was created not as an official project, but as one that came out of Google's 20% time policy, which is a, a policy where every employee, theoretically, though not all of them use this, uh, have access to 20% of them time to work on a project of their choice. Uh, no matter what it is, it could be something But it was. It,
1: it, it's crucial to the survival of Google, because email is way stickier than search. You could switch search engines. If somebody else makes an exact copy of Google.com but without any uh, advertising, a lot of people would switch, but because they're also on Gmail and also use Google Docs and also use YouTube, it all works together. And and I think email is is the stickiest computing product. product. I still use Gmail because it just has years and years of history and uh, old receipts and old communications with immigration or like really important things but why
0: wouldn't you use um, inbox because it's just an updated interface for gmail
1: well i use inbox zero so then inbox doesn't make any sense
0: you know you can do you can get to inbox zero in inbox so Inbox inboxes well symbols, like, i get annoyed nod- yeah
1: i get i don't want an illustration of a knife and a fork if an email is about <laughs> lunch <laughs>
0: Like right now I'm looking at my inbox and I can see like, oh, I have upcoming flights and it shows me a picture of the place that I'm going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank I you. I can't remember what Frankfurt looks like. Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, to me, the, the beauty of this very bare bones, engineer driven product like Gmail is a, a pleasure to my eyes.
0: Yeah, I find it too noisy, but this is a, a design taste difference. But one thing I find was well, also it,
1: the way you use email is different than the way I use it. So. Uh,
0: no, but it's interesting because like I, I lead design at a company um, called FreshBooks, and and we had an old version of, pro- of our product that looks a lot like Gmail, and we Just released very a new list list-driven. list driven list lifts list heavy like lots of information density, and then I led the redesign of the product, and it looks now like a lot more like Inbox. But so I hear. Uh, for people that like the product, but I also hear every week from people that like, dear God, what have you done? <laughs> it's like, I can only look at... My uh, eyes I, are bleeding. I, I can, yeah, I can only look at 15 things at a time <laughs> And, and like the things that the t- like these things you're, you're highlighting with these like images it's like a toy or something and we're like well, oh it, we're just trying yeah. to make it easier for people yeah, to, you yeah, know yeah. like the 80% of people don't want all that anyway
1: but it's, not, it's nice when you make music but you run into the same problem you get fans and then you change the, the, the next yeah. album and the, and the fans are like and if you don't change then people are like well, this
0: is getting stale but here's the thing, maybe the good point wrapping up uh, on Google is like, so Google started with search, right? But what about Google Maps? We haven't spoken about it. Uh, yeah, we can talk about Google Maps. But like Google started with search. I was just going to like, let me just get this out, which is they started with search and then they started to like do different things like Gmail was added in, then Android and there's all these different things, you know, things and more than we can count. They, they bought YouTube,
1: which was a smart move.
0: And, but you know, like, and the number of times that we use search a day um, probably hasn't increased at all, right? Since it started, I think I searched Google as many times as I did um, ten years ago today, right?
1: Well, I don't know that there's more people online than before.
0: Uh, yeah, but personally, me, like the pro- yeah. that product, it, it kind of is just still doing what it does. I use it less, maybe in some circumstances. Yeah, but try using if you have to use Bing for a day, you get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I have I have a few friends that worked on Bing. They'd hate to sit, hear that. <laughs> Is it just the, it, like, it seems like It's exactly the design. The
1: it's like, oh, and then they have this big background image on the search results. Like, I don't want to look at this.
0: I really just think it's because they called it Bing that, that <laughs> was the reason for that. Bada Bing. <laughs> yeah, Bada Bing or Chandler Bing. It was just a bad brand. I, I mean, they were really bad at brand back then. They did Zune and everything. Yeah. <laughs> But I think for a good point, we need to bring this back somehow to the artist, because that's who we're for. And Google for the artist, if we just think about it for a second, is your primary research platform. We haven't talked about this at all, right? Like, like if you're going to do visual research, how are you going to do it? Are you going to go to the library? No. And if you collaborate with a team, you're probably using Google Docs. Yeah. If you're collaborating, so if you're producing a sh- like a show, are you- you're going to communicate in Gmail, right? Probably and a lot of artists use YouTube. Yeah, and if you're gonna like you know if you're make visual a work and share it with others, you're gonna use YouTube. So like more and more of what you would constitute as like your business, the way you run it as an artist on on the web, is increasingly like dependent on this company. So it is do, it is interesting
1: that uh, so Google search and the open web always seemed like the most efficient way to get to information, but there's a point now where platforms like Pinterest and Instagram uh, are more curated by humans and then the quality of images is a bit higher so mm-hmm. and, and it's also interesting to me that if i search my own name on google it shows a lot of work from 5 years ago and if you search my hashtag on instagram it's more current
0: yeah yeah, I mean, like, so
1: that th- that might be a shift in people's attention. That then Google is just kind of uh, scraping what old content.
0: It is interesting you said that because I was talking to a curator earlier this week, and I don't. My website only has like one work on it. And I I don't document my work. I'm but just a bad, lazy artist. I should blame myself. But like, I I. I Ideologically, I don't believe in documentation of performances, but so she had gone out of way. She started to describe how she, she was trying to keep up with my work. And she's like, yeah, so I, you know, I've been on Facebook. I saw nothing on your wall. I went to Instagram. Yes. I saw pictures of your family or <laughs> something. She's like, I'm just trying to figure out what are you doing? And so she, you know she was describing to me that the way that she was curating wasn't to visit my website it was to like search google scrape the platform scrape instagram yeah so she was like scraping together this image of what i had been up to so that she could put a grant proposal in honestly for a show next spring and i was like you made
1: it so hard i
0: made it so hard yeah i thought this podcast
1: is also hard to index
0: that's right. Yeah, like so the, the whether I like it or not, whether I choose to, you know, consume these platforms because this week, for example, Taylor Swift released a new album but also like pulled all of her media off social media. So she shut her Twitter account down or Instagram account or at least like deleted all the media on those accounts. Um and that was like more of a publicity stunt, right? But that act of removing one's media is like a controversial act. That's why it was a publicity stunt because you're like, "Oh no." You're deleting the history upon which we make decisions about who you are and what's going to happen next. And as an artist, what your expression is, that's your body of work. And uh, it got me to think that, you know, can I just, like, I've always had this idea that, well, Google will figure it out for me, right? Like, they'll index all my stuff. And she did a Google search. But, like, if you were to try and figure out what I was doing from it, you're right. It's, like, not organized in time. It's, like, kind of curated in a way that doesn't, like, necessarily yeah, make I sense. I still
1: think you have to have at least one platform that's that you control so it being a website yeah and because so everything else is gonna come and go Instagram will be around for a while and then it's the next thing but if you I don't know I I think as an artist you have a responsibility to share your knowledge and your experiences so other people can build upon it and so ideally your work should be available
0: on your website and yeah I and i
1: understand it, yeah. that you do performance and you don't want to have a minor version of the performance on youtube but still uh, no 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 i agree with yeah.
0: you like so this realization came to me this week that like i had this philosophy that i would rely on the algorithm to be my i said I, i've said this many times to many people that the website is dead <laughs> this has been my like spiel for the last like four or five years like i i, I always, whenever i meet someone new i'm like i ask them what was the last website you visited And people actually really struggle to answer this question because they don't... They'll be like... Their first answer is always Facebook or then they'll say like, oh, Instagram. But then it'll be like an app, like you mentioned the Seesaw app or something like that. But at the end of the day, the artist website is like an app in itself and people do still rely on that as an index of of what they do. I will
1: counter what I just said. So, Artists should have websites, but whenever I... Uh, meet an artist and want to know more about them, It might go to their website, and then it's kind of tedious because you have to figure out their navigation and you have to figure out their logic and their mm-hmm. information hierarchy. And then you just do a Google image search and it's split second and you get a grasp
0: of what the artist is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there is no... Yeah, that's interesting. But there's no platform... I mean, there are a bunch that are trying, like, you know, Artsy or... Uh, art stack, Squarespace, like, but there's no like, uh, individual like platform built for collecting all of the artists, every artist's work in one. Yeah. Place, right? Also, in,
1: in in the old days, it was maybe just paintings and sculptures, so that was still manageable. But
0: now it's so many different things, so many different kinds of media. Yeah. And yeah. It, and then the artist would want to hack it, like the glitch artist would want to like, you know, does it support <laughs> Unicode? <mess> it <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. Can I? Can I? Yeah. Exactly. Does it run JavaScript or uh, and so Google still serves this kind of purpose of like trying to at least like desperately tie together all these loose ends. But the, the web your website is a part of that uh, that story. And so in that way, it's kind of interesting because they're the but only platform. A, no, but they're the only platform that still supports it's an existential individual expression.
1: Threat, but it's an existential threat. The people browsing less on the web is problematic for Google.
0: Uh, yeah, well, you know, you're saying that they have to support that because if they yeah. didn't, they would have no more advertising revenue.
1: Yeah, and, and there's the other thing where voice search is becoming more important with ambient computing. Mm-hmm. And their whole business model is showing ads next to search results, and that doesn't work in voice search.
0: Yeah, so I mean, let's just because we gotta we do that. I feel like when we go too long. Well, let's go to one thirty at the max, like, <laughs> just for our listeners. If yeah. and this comes again all the way back to everything we've talked about this week, which is like if you were to be like, "Hey Google," because you'd have like a Google Home speaker and some ambient operating system, like, "Who's Jeremy Bailey?" and be like, "Jeremy Bailey is a new media artist," or like, "Who is Raphael Rosendahl?" Rose, Raphael Rosendahl is famous. Is an internet asshole. artist <laughs> <laughs> And then and then you'd be like, "Well, what does his work look like?" Right, and then they'd be like, "What would they do?" They'd be like, "Turn to the right to look at your television." I have put something. <laughs> how would yeah. they? How would they describe? Where they describe it verbally? Well, it is uh, <laughs> simple geometry moving in space, quirky geometry. Um, but they would have to do some interpretation, right, or some description, uh, which is interesting. And like, I assume that they, there's the Google Art Project that we didn't talk about, where they're trying to index the world's museums and artworks, right?
1: Yeah and, and it's kind of a Google Maps interface where you scan across a really big image you 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 pan yeah, across it. Very high detail um, yeah. you know. Cuz that's the way nice. you look at paintings in real life. You you <laughs> yeah. go up with a microscope. Yeah. I want to see the brush strokes.
0: Yeah. But I can imagine like and I haven't seen anyone do this yet, but it would be fun to see an AI search algorithm make like a Clement Greenberg-like interpretation of an abstract expressionist painting. <laughs> or like, of a JavaScript-based piece. Of a JavaScript based piece
1: or, like, yeah, let's say oh, that. The, like, it jumps from line to line in the code so beautifully. And,
0: uh, right, and that it would use that information to make decisions about what it showed you. So you'd be like, hey, Google. What's the most important um, abstract expressionist JavaScript uh, art, <laughs> artwork? And they'd be like, "Oh yes, well of course, it's like uh, this piece inspired by Manfred Moores, da da da, or whatever." You know, it would be like, it would, it would, it would, it would, it would come up with its opinion. And I think that this is really interesting because we've talked about the modernist versus the postmodern, and opinion is squarely. Like, opinion can be top down, right? Like, but it's pretty subjective, right? And that's the problem with modernism. the, the,
1: The basic definition of subjective is opinion.
0: Yeah, but when applied as a universal truth, it becomes modernism, right? Like, Uh, You know, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's opinion was that everything should be a cube. And so it was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that would be written. (laughs) Yeah. But in a postmodern context, you might be like, well, like the emergent theory is that everything should look like nature or whatever. And uh, it should be flexible and permeable. And so the, the opinion is always changing. Right. It's like there are multiple opinions. There's pluralism of opinions. And so I wonder, though, if Google if had to form a single opinion, uh, would it Well, the, the, the whole you know, thing was that the search results page was always about showing you options.
1: And it's all about being on the first page, but you still saw 25 results. So it'd be like, hey, but Google, then, what's the with voice search, thing? With voice search, is like, because even this google.com slash flights, mm-hmm. and you can, it's a meta search, a flight search, so you can search all the airlines. Yeah. but it'll show you all the options but that's really in in uh, that's where you get to the limits of voice search where you ask but it has uh, to editorialize a little bit doesn't it yeah but like if, if you like find me a flight to amsterdam in november i found
0: five flights to amsterdam in yeah. november which and voice like? is
1: just a very difficult interface to be. Wait, what did you say about the first flight? Was it cheaper than the? Oh, oh no, that's a once. Oh, it, it gets. I
0: yeah, don't so think you, that's a you good. You would interface. be like, give, tell me the cheapest one. It's this one. Hmm. Is there one that's like doesn't have any stopovers? You would start to yeah. walk. Yeah. Oh, the it has
1: seven stopovers and takes seventy-two hours.
0: Okay, that works for like information that's like standardized. But like we yeah. said, with, with an artwork, the information doesn't follow a standard index. Right? I think.
1: I think the moral here is that. Uh, with art, you should not rely on critics. You should find out for yourself.
0: Mm, I thought the moral was going to be like, we need an art search engine. (laughs) No, no, no. no. I really,
1: I I think the the profession of an art critic, I I guess it can educate people, but people Mm. really have to figure out for themselves. Would you rely on a movie critic to tell you which movie to go to?
0: Well, that's where we started earlier on. And I, I think that... Actually, I'm is,
1: contradicting myself because this Metrograph Theater has a great selection, and I just go to any movie they play.
0: Yeah, but you, you're trusting their editorial voice. Yeah. This is that this is the good point of the episode, and the good point about Google, um, in general, is just that it's this. And, it, and there's there's no answer yet, but it's well, there is going to be a battle over the subjective versus the objective editorial point of view. Um, the universal truth. <laughs> just one truth of the versus, minor
1: problems that Google. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. good luck with that one yeah people. good luck
1: yeah, good luck people calling you alphabet that's never happen.
0: <laughs> yeah well we didn't get into brand uh and parent corporations but like i think that's I, not, I, not a bad point to I, maybe about. it's just
1: this minor minor point that a lot of these big companies are struggling with antitrust issues so part of why they have so many brands is to appear that they're not a mon- monopoly mm,
0: right like though oh we didn't talk to those those people in uh in uh, the self-driving division kind of thing. Yeah, yeah no, a no we're not dom-
1: dominating both retail and cars and search. <laughs> no, they're totally separate people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I do like your, your good point, which is like go out and see art in person. Make up your own mind. Um, you know, like if Google recommended wine, you'd probably be like, I don't trust it. Um, no, so, they have an agenda. Yeah, they got yeah. paid
1: to like a certain wine.
0: Get out into your community and um, and yeah, get the seesaw app <laughs> didn't yeah. pay us anything for that placement it's a good it's a good app yeah Yeah. so we have a field recording this week we do it's uh
1: I'll read the email this is a field recording I took in Tampere Finland where the local ice hockey team Tapara was just doing the recording declared the winner of Finland's National Ice Hockey League the place of the recording is a small pub in the city center hope you enjoy it Piri Kvik from Tampere, Finland. Cool. Well, that was probably um, so a
0: festive moment.
1: Thank you for that. Thank you for listening. Sorry, the episode was long, but this is a, a big company. So we're probably gonna have to what talk can about you do?
0: Google again. Yeah, we're probably gonna have to do this again. Do over. Yeah. Already, we can do a
1: whole company. episode <laughs> about Google Maps.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, we can now do all of these sub-companies of Google. <laughs> what's, what's Google's worst product? We didn't even talk you about Sergey Brin or Larry Page. We didn't talk about the founders. About, we didn't talk about, about his Stanford. his five, five-toe shoes that he well, wears. Google was founded inside of a school, and it, span, it spun out of a school and into oh, a company. <laughs> There's so much what, to talk But about. what's your least favorite Alphabet product? My least favorite Alphabet product. Oh, man. Uh, that's tough. Uh, go, uh, I hate the look of the self driving car. It looks ridiculous. But, uh. <laughs> okay, let's end with that. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> okay, so let's listen to uh, ice hockey in Finland and uh, see you guys next week. Thanks so much, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Nyt siinä sekuntia ja siitä on jälleen Tämä kappanin ruuttiin nampaa on
1: Poi dicevo anch'io sentivo che non è colpa
0: Nousee tiimpiässä rinnalli kympiin. Ja nyt katsotaan liimaa paljon
1: jynastiaa ja tekemisen taas ajan kohdataan ajattelua. Juuu! 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 Juuu!
0: O uh. niin, on on P- ihan hyvä. O niin, on hyvä. Täysin päästä hississä, että on <triin> Aido, oikein, <paljoin.
1: triin> uh, roh-? tää on pirhä. Aidoa oikein, Mali. Mitä sä oot? Mistä tää puhutti? Mä olin ihan vaan